This is the Cover 2 Podcast with Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Brady on the deep drop, stands in, fires down the middle for Gronkowski, makes the grab at the 45, spinning away from defenders. He's gone to the 20, to the 10, to the 5, to the end zone. The Cover 2 Podcast on Patriots.com. The play fake and the throw to the end zone for Antonio Brown, touchdown Pittsburgh. Nobody covers the NFL like the guys from Cover 2. Eight different receivers have caught a pass from Matt Ryan today. He's looking to throw again. Wide open, Julio Jones has it, and in the end zone, touchdown Falcons. Now, Don Banks and Nick Stevens. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevens. I'm Don Banks, joined by my co-host Nick Stevens for a special Friday edition of the Cover 2. Why Friday, you might ask, Nick? Why Friday, Don? Thank you. We were going to do Wednesday as our custom, customary day, but um, we had a guest lined up for actually a couple weeks. Dan Quinn of the Atlanta Falcons, who did the uh, pod for us last summer as well, friend of pod. Um, but he canceled on us rather. Yeah, what was late. he up to Wednesday? What, I don't was, think he had he, any good reason. Was All he was charity doing, golf tournament, right? <laughs> All he was doing was getting a new three-year contract extension from Arthur Blank, the Falcons owner. Now this is a funny story because Tuesday, late Tuesday, I had not heard confirmation back um, from the PR people with the Falcons, who are usually very top-notch. I knew something was up. We had talked about this podcast appearance for weeks. Uh, Dan did a recent USO trip. We wanted to talk to him about that. We wanted to talk to him about Julio Jones. We wanted to talk to him about the Falcons trying to be the first team to play a Super Bowl on their own home field. Uh, that's right. That's still in play this year. Right. We came close Mercedes last year. Mercedes-Benz next February 3rd, I believe. Um, we had a lot of topics, and it went poof because, lo and behold, a aforementioned Julio Jones holdout situation then collided with Dan Quinn's contract extension. I got an email late late Tuesday said it's not happening. Dan sends his great apologies, promises to do a podcast appearance in the near future, which we're hoping to get actually next week. Uh, but he's got to have he has a meeting downtown with Arthur Blank in the morning. Um, said he also had to cancel on Rich Eisen's show, so that made me feel a little bit better because if Rich Eisen is getting canceled and, and Cover 2 is getting canceled. We can, we can, we can take the heat as well. Right. Turns uh, out that's, put, uh, that's, 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 that's a legit – one would think that's a legit reason. You I, know, Don, I would know from experience, but $115,000 diamond earrings that you lose in a lake, they don't pay for themselves. That's true. That is true. And Julio, <laughs> Julio needed the payday. And so it turns out they work all day or all afternoon and get the Julio Jones uh, matter resolved. They slid $2 million from his 19 salary into his 18 bonus. And Julio magically decides to uh, report to camp. But I'm going to give Dan Quinn a pass. That's why we're doing Friday podcast this week. We, we adjusted on the fly. And in about 10 minutes, we're going to have a, a guest for you that I'm actually looking forward to, Michael Lombardi. Um, if you follow the NFL, you know that name, and not just because uh, Lombardi is one of the most famous football names in the history of football. Um, Michael Lombardi, obviously a longtime NFL executive with a number of teams, the Cleveland Browns in the Belichick era, uh, worked with the Patriots recently, uh, Raiders, Eagles, he's been around, but... He's got a great new book out. He's the author of Gridiron Genius, a masterclass in winning championships and building dynasties in the NFL, which is due out on September 11th of this year. Um, he's also um, 
He's a, he's a podcaster himself. He's got a, a, a great podcast called GM Street on the Ringer NFL show. That's right. Mike has been a kind of a, an omnipotent voice, both in podcasting and analysis, doing great radio. I've long been a listener. And the early word on the book is that if you are a Pats fan and you also cannot consume enough inside football, the kind of access that only somebody like a Lombardi can give you, people like Michael Hawley, Tom Curran, uh, the great late David Halberstam have written books, The Education of a Coach, that have taken you behind the scenes. This is the kind of geeked out access. Yeah, behind the green curtain. Want, big behind time. the green curtain. Big, big time. Um, a lot of inner workings and inner thinkings of... I mean, the man has worked, Lombardi has worked for Bill Walsh, Al Davis, and Bill right. Belichick. Has anyone else no. put that trefecta together? And, I don't think so. If, if you're you playing think, NFL bingo, that's uh Oh, he's, he's, he's got the Holy Trinity in his pocket. Yeah. His resume uh, is uh, borderline peerless. And knowing the way that Mike also loves mafia movies, you know, always, always name checks Godfather and especially Goodfellas. In a lot of ways, think about it. He was almost sort of like, what was his role? It was kind of nebulous or undefined at times. He was truly a football conciliary. I, ha- I have to admit, you know, there's, there's obviously the name Michael Cohen, Trump's fixer in, in the news in the last six months. And I, I think, well, in a way, Michael Lombardi was a fixer, too. Or uh, for pop culture fans, he was like Mr. Wolf in Pulp Fiction. Yeah, exactly. He was the guy that you just... Consigliere is probably the best way of putting yeah. it. He was a guy that um, was... Kind of at the right hand, um, right. but a great football mind. Now, he's not always right. Remember, famously, early last year, he said he thought Doug Peterson of the Eagles mm-hmm. was w- among the most unqualified coaches he had ever seen. Remind me to wring his hand about you that. You know what? To, to his credit, he mea culpa that one and said, I absolutely blew it, which just, again, shows you my axiom in NFL coverage. Nobody nobody knows everything, and if they say they do, they're lying Uh if you have to give opinions on the NFL, eventually you're going to step in it and be dead wrong about one big one or two. Um, I've been wrong about many, but uh, we're going to have Michael on in just a little bit. I was fortunate enough; I actually worked with him um, a number of years ago when he was he was kind of freelancing for Sports Illustrated, and we used to talk all the time. We're both Springsteen aficionados um, and avid readers of history, and Mike is uh, is certainly that on both fronts. Um, so, as of today, Nick. Yes, sir. All 32 teams, by the end of day, will have re- their veterans will have reported, uh, which kind of means it's on. It, it is oh, officially it's on. on. Obviously, the Patriots right outside our doors are still practicing. I just came from there a few minutes ago. I'm drenched in sweat. Don, it's a it's a 90 degree hot July Friday. It's one of the hottest days of the summer in a very hot New England summer. There are 10,000 people out there right now as if it was a carnival where they were giving away free pony rides and popcorn. Maybe it's it's because I, for so many years, have made the rounds of training camps. And part of my job was to stand out. Thank you, Kevin. uh, Stand out there and watch practice. But I don't know. I don't find football practices the most mm, enthralling sport. sport to watch Boring. well listen it's not Bengals practice <laughs> right I guess. sorry I no, get no offense Cincinnati I've Browns, got a lot of love for the Browns city practice. in my heart well, actually I would be interested. I know you would I can't wait to watch Browns right. practice you're a baker and I heard that you're a baker of, boy I'm not only just a fabulous baker boy but I'm I'm, I'm a big believer in I didn't say fabulous but I, I did it's a I great just, it's one of my favorite Jeff Bridges movies I and know if not we'll talk after I I, I can't wait I, I heard about them 
uh, kicking around the idea of signing Dez the other day and right. just thought, oh, I mean, he could go there. Maybe he would pop by Patriots training camp because uh, they're a little wide receiver thin at this point. But when your team is great and you know you've got a, maybe a couple seasons left to get last looks at the greatest player in franchise history, your hero, your favorite athlete, yeah, you come out. It's a fun thing to do. It's a it's a huge family experience, right? I'm sure Packers camp will be full of family style fun. Uh, in in uh, in Carson City, they can't even find where I don't even know if anyone knows where the Chargers practice. But it's a it's a great it's a great way to to bridge summer and football season. You know what I mean? Yeah, I you know I get it. I mean, spring training is probably not enthralling to a lot of people, and I've spent. Plenty of hours spring watching. Spring training is a metaphor. Spring training itself is actually not that interesting. Spring training is all about the beginning. Get out of yeah. winter. God, yeah. just kick. Right. No, Comes at a better time. Yes, let's it be does. Honest, it does. Than the, than the dead of summer. Um, a lot going on already in the NFL. I wanted to talk a little bit. First, first a quick um, salute to Tony Sperano, the um, offensive line coach of the Vikings, who died um, very uh, surprisingly, at the age of 56, uh, on Sunday morning um, of heart disease, um, you know, it, it instantly flashed me back 19 years. Uh, I was covering the Minnesota Vikings my fourth and final season on the beat, and it was February of 99. They had just come off that uh, epic 98 season, and Brian Billick, the offensive coordinator, gets hired by the Ravens, and they replace him with Chip Myers, who they elevated from QB coach. He had been a receivers coach. Chip was one of the best guys I ever covered, uh, just the most laid-back, chill, easygoing, fun-loving guy. Chip Myers dropped, dropped dead hours after coming home uh, from the NFL Combine in uh, Indianapolis, uh, again in suburban uh, Minneapolis in, in his home, very similar to how um, Tony Sperano passed on Sunday. And I remember they had just elevated Chip to offensive coordinator. It was kind of his dream job, and he was really excited about finally getting to coordinate an offense. After 15 years of NFL assistant coaching, he was a Pro Bowl receiver with the Bengals back in the 70s. And, man, uh, when, you, when you add in the Corey Stringer tragedy in mm. 01, which was on the first full day of camp, Vikings have been hit with some some really tragic um, losses like not long before the season. Um, anyway... Tony Sperano, I, I did not know the man well. I interviewed him a number of times over the years when mm-hmm. he was a Dolphins coach and when he was a Jets offensive coordinator. He was, he was just as gruff and uh, in-your-face as he could be, but it was actually very endearing. And, of course, people in this area and fans of the team that plays in this stadium will remember him as the infamous coach who orchestrated one of the most shocking upsets of the Patriots ever, of course, the Wildcat game and... He currently is the answer to a trivia question yeah, as well. Who was the last head coach to win the was, AFC East? Who was the only non-Belichick head coach to win an AFC East title from 03 to current? Mm-hmm. And that is Tony Spar- Sparano. Sorry, the J- uh, Chad Pennington is the only quarterback in this century right. who won the AFC East. Right. And, and, of course, that was Brady's knee injury year, so there's that caveat. But uh, still... They were a one-win team in 07, one and fifteen under uh, who was it? Cam Cameron, yes. I believe. Good. And, and then uh, all the way to eleven and five. Um, Tony did not reproduce that success in his subsequent three years with the Dolphins. Uh, went on to be the interim head coach with the Raiders. But anyway, a good man, really beloved by his players and his fellow coaching fraternity. Um, 
kind of story that just you wonder how much of an impact it might have on this very talented Super Bowl or bust Vikings team to be losing uh, such a resource and an offensive line coach who was among the best in the league this soon. You don't want to start already also thinking about how that factors into the mindset going into the season as well. Does that become, like you said, uh, uh, an irreplaceable loss and a distraction, or is that a motivating factor for them? I mean, I know it's far too soon to think about that, but it's sad because he was a great football mind, beloved, and uh, that's a that's a that's a tough one to recover from early on when you have Super Bowl dreams. Yeah. On the field, you know, a couple quick quarterback notes. Uh, Andrew Luck started strong in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly looked a little bit like him, him his old self in early good. practices. He's yeah, g- he's got the he's got the arm version of fresh legs right now. He's Car- got a fresh arm. Carson Wentz not on pup to start camp. Moving around, I, uh, they're going to be smart with him, obviously, and limited. Um, but two good stories there, and that two quarterbacks uh, that we have huge question marks physically are back on the field. Um, lot going on. You know, we got Earl Thomas not in camp with Seattle and wondering if that's still going to merit a trade. We got Julio Jones now done right on the contract front. We got Aaron Donald and Aaron Rodgers not done. Don't know what that's about. Is there collusion against signing people with the uh, name Aaron in the I, NFL? Apparently. I, I think they ought to charge it. Yep. I think they ought to charge that. And then um, uh, one story I want to talk to Michael Lombardi about. Josh Gordon. Man, that is a downer because I was I really believed he was ready to be not just a part of the solution in Cleveland, but really one of the centerpiece players for that team. Um, I'm not ruling him out for the season, I I think. I'm not ruling him out for the season. It's certainly not a good development. He's had weeks and months to kind of prepare, and then right before camp starts, he has some sort of setback that he needs further Well, is it necessarily a setback, or is this just sort of part of the plan to make sure before he gets into camp, before he gets into the grind, make sure he's mentally prepared to not fall back on his vices, not lean on his crutches, and make sure he's ready for the grind because this is going to be a big season. There are going to be a lot more spotlights on the Cleveland Browns, hopefully positive spotlights this year. Hope you're right. if there was any negativity, maybe let's brush it away now. Hope you're right and I'm wrong on this uh, in terms of Josh Gordon, but something feels wrong about it. Something feels like uh, there's there's more – going on than we I know. I mean, I'm okay with it. Did you see the shape that he was in at OTS? Yeah, that's why I was excited. I, mean, he, I, I don't think I've ever seen a human being in better shape, let alone a wide receiver. Also, Don, uh, breaking news this morning, Taylor Lewin. I thought you were going to say Taylor Swift. No, well, Taylor Swift is also. T-Swift is performing She's here a Gillette, tonight. if you uh, missed the news. I think she made about the same amount of money that he did. Uh, $50 million. It's ta- is it? It's Lewin, right? Or is it Lewan? Lewin. Lewin. Taylor Lewin, $80 million contract, highest paid offensive lineman in history. We are constantly resetting the high watermark, the bar for Yeah, he just passed Nate Solder, didn't he? Yep. Nate Solder got it 50 It might be Lewan now that I think of it. it I think it is Lewan. Yeah. Taylor Lewan. You know me with my offensive lineman. Do it on your own time. Yeah. All right, now as promised, we're going to wow. bring in Michael Lombardi, uh, old friend of mine um, and longtime NFL executive, but first and foremost, I want to plug his book because I can't wait. It's coming out September 11th. Uh, he's the author of Gridiron Genius, a master class in winning championships and building dynasties in the NFL. Called Mike the other day or contacted him. He was actually just recording the final portion audio for the audio book. Uh, that's why we're doing Friday instead of Wednesday. Michael, good to talk to you again, and welcome to the Cover 2 Podcast with Banks and Stevenson. Hello, Don. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's good to be here. Good to be with you, too. Um, we have not talked 
Springsteen in a long time, but Mike <laughs> Mike is a huge Springsteen fan, yeah. and I used to go to him for, um, I guess, you know, a veteran of the genre. I've, I've been following Bruce for, I don't know, 30 years, but Mike goes back even further than that. And we're also both huge, huge lovers of history, but want to dive right in, Mike, to what's going on today in the NFL. Um, first and foremost, we were just talking about Josh Gordon. Now, the young man obviously had made great strides in Cleveland, and I, I'm a little taken aback by this latest development of his, I guess you would call it, indefinite um, absence from camp. Um, I'm hoping I'm wrong, but I'm, I just don't think this is a good development that suddenly right before camp he has to he needs further counseling or needs some sort of further treatment. Any thoughts on the Josh Gordon situation and how you read it? You know, it's it's a tough one to read, Don, because, you know, this is a kid that has tremendous talent. And when I was in Cleveland in 2013, he was an electrifying receiver. He's had trouble, whether you go back to the University of Baylor or where he couldn't play at the University of Utah because of off-the-field activities. And that's continued throughout his pro career. And this is just another step. This had passed off season. There was all indications from most everyone in Cleveland that he had turned the corner and that things were back on track. And now this blurp in the radar, and really it's a blurp that it's hard to explain because you're not being at camp for a reason has to be some cause of, of alarm in terms of where you are. Now, we understand he's a level, he's the highest level you can be in the program, so he's being tested. So hopefully he hasn't tested positive and then resulting in another indefinite suspension. So this has just kind of been the course for, for what's happened with uh, Josh during his career. I wanted to also um, ask you very quickly for a, a remembrance uh, of Tony Soprano, um, offensive line coach for the Vikings who passed very shockingly uh, Sunday morning of heart disease. Um, I, I was just relating that it flashed me back to 99 when Chip Myers, who I was then covering the Vikings, the offensive coordinator for the Vikings, died of a heart attack. Um, we talked a little bit about the Corey Stringer tragedy. The Vikings have certainly had their share. You at least knew Tony uh, from the coaching, the NFL coaching fraternity. He was really beloved by the players he coached and by the the fellow coaches, the fraternity, I never heard a bad word about Tony Sperano. Uh, your thoughts? You know, Tony was just truly loved ball. I mean, Tony was a football, football man. I mean, he loved the game. He worked hard at the game. Uh, you know, he was from the Parcells school, so certainly we always shared that in common and could, sh- could exchange stories about Bill and about how Bill operated. And it's just sad to go at 56 years old so young. You know, Tony... When he was the head coach, I can still remember him walking around the fields. He was really dedicated to getting himself in shape, and he did. He really lost a lot of weight. And unfortunately, as we all know in the NFL, the stress, the rigors of the game puts you into a situation where you tend to lose your uh, ability to work out. You feel like you can't take that hour a day to work out and take care of yourself. And unfortunately, you know, for Tony, this is something that – that happened, and I mean, he was a truly tremendous man, and he was a great coach, and uh, it's really a sad loss for the Vikings and for the whole NFL community. Mike, uh, turning to the Patriots, a team I think you're uh, recently and relatively familiar with. Of course, we do the Cover 2 podcast here at Gillette Stadium for Patriots.com. Yesterday, first day of Patriots training camp, in his media access portion, Donta Hightower, who looks great and is great to have back, said that he noticed defensive players, both the veterans and especially the younger players, including rookies, seem to be picking up the Patriots' defense faster and better. 
And uh, he said it was sort of attributed to new de facto defensive coordinator Brian Flores. Could you kind of give us a little insight in your perspective on Brian Flores and uh, tell us what we might expect from the Patriots defense this year? Well, I think Brian's an outstanding coach. I think Brian has done, you know, the one thing at the Patriots that you have to do for Bill Belichick is you have to succeed at every level to get to the next level. It's almost like playing a computer game. You have to get win level one before you get to level two, and each time you move up, you gain more responsibility. And Brian, from the time he was a, a intern in the scouting department to then he went to become a coach, and then he became a, a, a safeties coach, and then he became the linebacker coach, each time he received more responsibility from Bill and from the coaching staff, he excelled at that. And I think he's a bright young coach. I think he's got a great future in front of him. And I think even though he's technically not the coordinator, which is Bill's way of really helping him along, taking some of the burden of responsibility off of him in the spotlight and allowing him to grow within the job, which I think is really important to most young coaches, I think he'll do a great job. And I think you know, what Hightower said the other day, I think, is an indication of that. I mean, you have to find a time where you can get younger players on the field. And this is not a knock at Matt Patricia, but as you have been around for a team for a long enough time, you tend to get more volume within what you're doing. And when you start fresh another year, you tend to lower that volume and people can catch up. It's always hard for the rookies to catch up because the Patriots, veteran players, they've been doing it for three or four years. So it's like... They're reading the Manhattan phone book the whole time. Meanwhile, the guys coming in have to learn it within a week. That's always so hard. I imagine so. Um, I'd love to maybe see if I could get just a, a little bit of perspective from you on this as well. There was a whole hubbub here the other day when uh, a reporter asked Belichick on Wednesday about the Malcolm Butler saga. Uh, and, and I know there was a very funny tweet that your boss, Bill Simmons, from The Ringer put out the other day saying, you know, we'll probably never find out who killed JFK and we're not going to find out whatever happened with Malcolm Butler. Totally agree. Yeah, and I agree. And, you know, we'll never learn. We'll probably learn where Flight 370 went before we find out about Butler. But do you have any idea exactly what went into that? Or is that just something that it's not even worth speculating on now? You know, I, I think, and I've said this, and I wrote this in the book Red Iron Genius, I think when Bill says he's on to the next game or the next year, he's on to it. And I think no matter how hard we try to pry or get into it, I really have no idea, nor have I asked Bill about what happened. But I believe this in Bill, and I truly have known Bill long enough to know that he felt it was something worthwhile that he had to do to, to help his team in the short term and in the long term. Now, Obviously, everybody says, well, that can't be the case, Lombardi. You're just shilling for your friend. If he would have played, they would have won the game. Perhaps. But if Brandon Cooks would have taken a left turn or a right turn, instead of trying to hurdle, they might have won the game. If they wouldn't have missed a field goal and an extra point, perhaps they would have won the game. You know, there's so many plays in that game that you watch that you could go back to and point to and say, you know, they had their chances in the game with or without Butler and they just didn't execute them with the times they needed to do that. And that game, as I said before, was always going to be a hard matchup for the Patriots because when they didn't play from in front, the Eagles had done this tremendously through the season. They'd been able to play from in front the whole year, which allowed their defense to only play 26 minutes. People forget the Giants gained almost 500 yards against this uh, Eagle defense. Twice in December, they, especially right when Eli went right. off, and they and they and, but they only had the ball twenty six minutes. This game was more about pace and control than it was about yards, and I think that's where it fell short for the Patriots. 
Michael, let's talk about the book. Uh, a lot of people uh, obviously are going to be very interested in, in the Boston, New England market. Um, first I of all, so. <laughs> yeah, they are. Trust me. Uh, oh, we are. There's yes. a lot of a lot of buzz about this book. First of all, just. I guess describe it. I've, I've been describing it to people. It's like behind the scenes doesn't do it justice. It's behind the green curtain. It, it kind of peels back um, the curtain and shows you how this team prepares, how this team game plans, the detail work. Um, it puts you right there in in the room with the Patriots as they're preparing for some of their biggest games. But give me the synopsis of what this book attempted to do and what you believe it does uh, in terms of telling about your experience in the NFL? Well, what it does, I, I can't be the judge of that. Readers will have to do that. But what I try to do is, you know, Don, as you know, I've, I, as you know me for so long, I've been very blessed to work for some incredibly talented people. And I use the word work for because in personnel, you should work for the coach. And so I've worked for Bill Walsh, and I've worked for Bill Belichick. And working for those two guys, I've always wanted to write a book. And the book's title in my mind for the longest time, was the Bill of Rights, the <laughs> Bills of Rights. Oh, and wow. because title. it was supposed to be a 10-chapter book on 10 things that both of these gentlemen do so well because they are so similar. And even though style isn't the same, their substance is very much the same. So I couldn't sell the Bill of Rights as the title because they wanted to incorporate more than just the two bills in the book. So this book is really about what I've learned from everybody I've been with. And the book starts out, talking about the play in the Seattle game. And it goes through, really, the things that I learned along the way from the time that I used to drive Bill Walsh around in his car, and I call that carpool karaoke, (laughs) because that was my version of, really, carpool karaoke. I got to drive Bill, and I got to ask him questions, and he would answer, and we would move along. And and that's kind of what the book tries to do. The book is for any football fan who wants to know about leadership, because coaching is leadership. It's really for any fan who wants to learn about how to do your job better because football is still a job, and how you prepare and how you present yourself is so critical in that area. So the book should resonate to Wall Street as much as it does to the fans in the New England area everywhere because it's a lesson of these two guys and Al Davis, of course, who could have really gone and run any Fortune 500 company they wanted to run and been successful. Football happened to be their discipline, but their creativity, their brilliance lies in the ability to lead men, make decisions, and do what's right for their team. We're with Mike Lombardi. Michael Lombardi, author of The Gridiron Genius, a master class in winning championships and building dynasties in the NFL, due out September 11th. Um, once upon a time, Mike was a great source of mine when I was at SI.com, and then I had the pleasure of actually working with him. Um, what years were it? that you were at SI.com writing NFL I, I coverage? I just a little bit. You know, my, one of the things I did when I was when we hired Art Shell, and this is not a knock on Art Shell, but when we hired Art Shell in Oakland in 2006, I kind of knew my career as, as in the NFL was going to come to a tough, tougher way. So I took a writing class in San Francisco, and it was with 14 women. I was the only male in the class. <laughs> and I'm not sure I was the toughest of the 15, trust me there. <laughs> but anyway... Uh, I took a writing class, and I wanted to be able to start this uh, another career. So then, and then Peter King and you and everyone else was kind enough. I started a football website called the National Football Post with uh, Andrew Brandt and Jack Becta, and we started that. And then I also did some writing for SI, but that kind of conflicted as we were navigating this world called the Internet. Nobody really knew how to right. do it then. 
I'm not sure we know how to do it now, but so that's kind of how it was. I think 2007, 2008. Michael, I wanted to ask, big picture, we'd be remiss. I mean, obviously this entire offseason, and really starting in January, the reports of the Patriots' imminent demise started circulating. I want your big picture take, greatly exaggerated or not. Where do you well, come down on, on where the Patriots' uh, dynasty is in its stages? Well, look, look, I mean, all good things come to an end. I mean, that, that's, just, that's just the way human nature is in life. I mean, there is some things. But the infrastructure and, you know, the book that I wrote is about culture, too. And I think the culture that Bill has established in New England is a culture that can withstand time and can withstand changes. It's been proven. Now, once the Hall of Fame quarterback, who's the greatest quarterback that I've been with, with Joe Montana included, decides he wants to leave the game, there's going to be a tough transitional period. There's no doubt about that. However, that being said, there's a culture within there. I mean, Bill's done it with Matt Castle. I think he could do it with pretty much anybody that he feels has the talent to win. I'm not saying he can do it with anybody. I'm saying anybody he feels has the talent to win and work the game around. So, I often laugh that it's coming to an end. I think as long as Bill's coaching the team and as long as that culture stays in place there, they will always be highly competitive in the NFL. The greatest testimony to the Patriots is not the five Super Bowls. It's the seven conference championship games in a row. And I wrote about this in the book. I mean, to me, that is a greater streak than DiMaggio's 56-game hitting streak. Mm. That's an impossible measure. I've always believed in the NFL. You measure your career by how many conference championships games you get to. That's the final four. They've been to seven in a row. That's mm -hmm. unheard of, and I think that's just a testimony to their culture. How many times you take that swing. Yep. Mike, I love this. Uh, something you wrote in the book. You said, the first thing I learned was Belichick's playoff planning is informed by three things, and this really seems to highlight exactly the way he goes about his business. One, what his team does well. Two, what his team doesn't do well. And three, what he thinks it will take to win the playoff game. Uh, and I feel like when you said like this book will hopefully be as popular on GM Street as it will be on Wall Street, that seems really to me like a, like a great game plan for anybody. Recognize your strengths, recognize your weaknesses, and then figure out what it is you need to do to be successful, given anything that you're about to tackle. No doubt. I think, and that's what Bill is. And here's where I think Bill also gains on most people. Jackson Brown has a great line in one of his songs. He says, if we forget about the losses and exaggerate the wins. Bill never forgets about the losses, nor does he exaggerate the wins. So he's always doing an autopsy on how he won the game, what he needed to do to win the game, and was he right, and how he lost the game and what he didn't do to win the game. And when you're in that perspective, when you're constantly not looking at the scoreboard for the result and you're looking at the process and always going over it, you can then increase your chances of being successful. And that's what Bill's done. And so... When he enters the playoffs, he just doesn't sit there and pat himself on the back saying, man, i got a great team. All i got to do is win two games. I'm in the Super Bowl. He's, he's like a great grandmaster in chess. He understands what the opponents can do. He understands how that opponent should attack him. And then he's got to figure out a way to counter that and work from there. Uh, I know I'm speaking to the person who may love the movie Goodfellas the most on planet Earth. And every time Ray Liotta in the shower, as he hears that the Lufthansa heist was pulled off, I believe, he pounds the shower wall and yells, Jimmy! <laughs> Just that drop right there. And every time, every time I ever hear that, 
of course, I think like that's that's circulated on social media when Garoppolo blew up around here a couple of years ago. And I figure there might not be anyone else who can tell us exactly what to expect from or what he thinks is going to be accomplished by Jimmy. I don't know if there's anyone with more shine and more hype on him going into the season. You know, I think Jimmy, and, and look, I, I've been fortunate enough to be around Jimmy for the time I was in New England. I also was fortunate enough, when I was in Cleveland for the one year before we got fired, I did a lot of work. You know, everybody said that wasn't a great quarterback draft. Uh, but that quarterback draft ended up producing Blake Bortles, Johnny Manziel, Teddy Bridgewater, Derek Carr, and Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, obviously Manziel's up in Canada for reasons not because of his talent, but for off-the-field stuff. So Garoppolo, to me, was always the sleeper in that draft. I always felt like, even in Cleveland, he had an incredible release. He rose to the level. You go back and watch him play against San Diego State. He was really poised. He played well for a kid from Eastern Illinois. He had a great demeanor. And then when we get him as a rookie, the first thing he's doing is hanging around with the offensive linemen. They loved him. So he has great camaraderie with his teammates. And that, along with his talent, makes him a unique player in the NFL. And don't minimize this talent. This kid is really talented, and he went to an offense that can highlight that talent in an unbelievable way. I mean, remember, Kyle Shanahan with Matt Schaub took him to a, a lot of took him to playoff games. Brian Hoyer in Cleveland with Kyle Shanahan. You know, last time they won seven games. Kyle is an outstanding quarterback coach who relies on play action and the ability to work the ball down the field off of play action. Garoppolo is a great, and I mean great, deep ball thrower. And if he can separate the defense with a hard play action pass. He will make throws down the field. It's a great offense for him. I think he's going to do really well. Uh, joined by Michael Lombardi. Mike, we got two minutes left. I want to just do a lightning round. I want to throw a bunch of little questions about you, just topics du jour in the NFL. Give me as, as tight an answer as, as you possibly can. First off, you're a huge Lamar Jackson guy. Uh, I love the the draft pick, too. You, you wrote on Twitter, I, th- I believe, in two months we'll all be wondering how he slipped to number 32. Your read on how Baltimore will use him this year, and if he can force Flacco out of the lineup at some point this season. Well, I think he will. I think I think what will force the Ravens to use him is not the Ravens' front office or their offensive staff. It's the Ravens' defense. Once those defensive players watch Lamar Jackson play, they will be screaming for him to be on the field. His ability to turn nothing into something will make the Ravens a potential playoff-caliber type team and a deep-caliber playoff type team. Is it inevitable that Seattle moves on from Earl Thomas, who's holding out at some point this summer, and is Dallas still the logical landing spot? I I tweeted this morning, I think any time a player takes a stand and doesn't show up and forces the team into a corner, he's making a mistake. He's making a huge mistake because now if he gets his way, all the other players say simply, hey, let me do what Earl did and I'll get my way. I think he's made a calculated mistake here. I think he should have gone to camp, done his job, tried to do the best he could, and hopefully get a trade. What's up with the Rams paying Brandon Cooks, Todd Gurley, still not having paid Aaron Donald? Are they afraid to give him big money? Well, let's take Todd Gurley. You know, Todd Gurley made them go. Everybody talks about Jared Goff, but Todd Gurley was the reason they were so successful. When he touched the ball 17 times or less, they, they were 2-5. and five. When he touched it 17 times or more, they were undefeated. So this is a guy who averaged 10 yards per pass reception last year, ran the ball effectively at every single pass with the exception of 2% of their offense, is a play-action pass. That's what helps Goff throw the ball. He's a horrendous thrower to his right. He's better to his left. Now, they had to pay Gurley. I don't get the Cooks thing, and here's why. Two coaches, two coaches I have great respect for, Bill Belichick, Sean Payton, that know a little bit about the talent level of Brandon Cooks. They passed on him. 
And the reason they passed on him was, A, not great getting away from press, and B, not great with the ball in his hands. So now with the Rams go and give him this money, I think they're dangerously taking a risk. I would have started with Donald. Maybe they feel like they have a solution on when they're going to be able to pay Donald. I don't. Aaron Rodgers' money, is it coming? Or, again, is there a reason we're not getting that they're, they're hesitating? Much like the Lufthansa High scored big, <laughs> he's going to score big, too. I mean, let's face it, it's just a matter of time when he's going to get his money. He has all the leverage, and I mean all the leverage. Okay, and lastly, the Julio Jones maneuver, getting common in the NFL, take a little base salary from next year, move it into bonus this year. Falcons do the right thing by addressing that with three years left on the contract? Well, I mean, it's just a cap move to, to, to put more cap dollars into it. It really doesn't benefit the player. It puts more onus on the team because they've incurred more debt down the road. This is more of a, a solution-based answer, not a sustainable answer, something that I'm not sure always works. I think the best thing for Calvin, for the best thing for Julio Jones is that Calvin Ridley's on the team and could take some of the pressure away from him. Michael Lombardi has been our guest on the Cover 2 podcast, the author of the upcoming book, Gridiron Genius, a master class in winning championships and building dynasties in the NFL. The only man, I believe, to work for Bill Walsh, Al Davis, and Bill Belichick. That's a trifecta. Uh, and go to the Super Bowl with them, too. That's that, the other thing. You can't forget that. We went with one with Al, even though we lost in that's, them, too, but we did. That's right. And he's also the host of the podcast called GM Street. On the Ringer NFL show, where can people find that, Mike? Go, just go to the Ringer Podcast Network, and Tate Frazier and I will be doing another one on Monday. And then once the season starts, we'll do three a week. We'll do one on Monday, um, one on Sunday after the games, one Tuesday, and then one Friday predicting some games. Okay, Mike tells me I have to get to Springsteen on Broadway, which I have not done yet. Give me ten seconds on why. It, it is really a uh, it is really catharsis in terms of his ability to bring emotion out of you, bring his, his, his thanks to his father and mother, a way to pay back for all the things he said about his dad without understanding the depression that he's going through. It's an emotional moment. It's a poignant moment. And it's Bruce in a most intimate setting. It's unbelievably powerful. Thank you, Mike. We took you longer, eight minutes longer than we promised. but love to have you back on the podcast someday soon. All the best with the book. And uh, we'll do our part to pub it in the Boston market for you. Thanks you much. Talk soon. All, all the best. Thanks, Mike. Well, that was uh, around the league. A and bit then of a some. master class in I, and of itself, I thought. Yeah, it sounds like uh, he may may actually know what he's talking about. Yeah, I, 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 I always like, I mean, he's not, again, he's not always right with his opinions. None of us are, but I always think he has a very well backed up. Right. And he's got good reasoning, and he, and he thinks about him. He, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's, an, it's a schooled informed and cautious take on yep. things. I think Patriots fans have to be pretty excited what he had to say about Brian Flores. I think they should be very excited about it. I think also where I'm going people are going to listen to that and go like, damn it, why they let Garoppolo get away? I they, know, they had no choice in that matter. I understand right. that. But Brian Flores, you know I think there's every reason to be excited about having him on as it, the coordinator. He answered a question before I asked it, which was, why not give him the title? And he said he thinks it's Belichick's way of helping him. Too like, much pressure. Not saddling him with that title. And and helping him share that load, which I I have to admit I didn't look at it that way. I looked at it the other way. And I, I really appreciate the fact that he came out and called himself out per se when he said, "Oh, you're just going to think this is Belichick's right. buddy shilling for him or trying to get his back." When he said that he thought Belichick was doing what was in the best interest of the football team, and he's right. Now listen, I want to know why Butler didn't play entirely. I think he could have at least played 10, 15 plays in that game and made a difference on a couple. But he's right. If Brandon Cooks didn't try to hurdle that guy or make that foolish play in space, if Johnson Batamoso... Oh, I knew Johnson Batamoso. Hey, Kevin, 
That's always going to come. Who up. had who had 11.55 on the uh, Johnson Batamosi mention pool? I think I'm a winner. Yeah, I was going to say thank you, you for know not mentioning I mean. Jonathan I've, Johnson. I probably should have started Batamosi. I know. But he but he's but he's right, missing an extra point, missing a field goal, et cetera, et cetera. So it's not all just we do. And then and then to top it off, he made a Jackson Brown reference. Yeah. And wow. I you know what I, I didn't get around to it because you jumped in with an excellent follow up, but recently he tweeted uh, something Napoleon said that is applicable to NFL GMs and I wanted to get him going on that for thirty minutes. Something about along the lines of don't you know, don't get too high on success and too low on defeat or don't listen to too much of the noise. But uh I like a guy that can oh. come on, come right. on, talk NFL football and Napoleon. Drop some knowledge all at once. Yeah, um, it, it's going to be. I think it's going to be a um, an interesting first week. You've got a lot of big issues. Obviously, Jerry Jones, Cowboys owner, came out and flexed his his muscles again on the mm-hmm. anthem issue, basically going against what he voted for in May as part of the league's anthem policy uh he now says his players won't be able to stay in the locker room as part of the policy not that it may not come to that anyway because they're meeting with the union at the moment to come up with a new plan um but i thought it was interesting that jerry being the uh you know he he has to show that he's the man in the room uh came out and already said that his players will all have their toes on the line regarding the anthem policy and the fact that the whole Miami Dolphins thing last week blew it up, and now they're still trying to figure out a, a yet another solution or another crowd-pleasing uh, ruling on this. Uh, did you ever l- do something wrong, and you were either like walking home or in a car ride, and you knew, like, wow, when I get home, my parents are going to be pissed, or like, I'm going to get grounded. So you just decided, I'm just going to try to not think about it for the next 10 or 15 minutes before I get home and I have hell to pay. Right. I feel like I'm just trying not to think about it until the next story, the next breaking news, or the next ruling from the league. Because it's just so infuriating at this point that everyone just can't get in locks. Like, let us all just soak it up and... You know, bite down on the fact that it's going to be everyone out on the field, or that you're going to just let people protest, and that's that. Yeah, that problem is I don't believe there's any middle ground that's no. to be found here. Oh. They didn't find it before because it's not there. They won't find it this time either. Uh, interested to see what comes out of it. Um, one other story I was going to ask Michael about, but really, what can you say? Lashawn McCoy is in training camp in Buffalo, but he's really in this weird limbo. I mean, at the For moment, how long? At the moment, there's absolutely no you know legal issue. Um, the county in, I think it's Cobb County in, in Georgia has not pressed charges. No one has, uh, a, a, you know, linked his name to the beating and robbing of his ex-girlfriend um, in that house invasion, I believe, on July 10th. However, you have her and the her attorney out there still maintaining that somehow they believe LaShawn McCoy was behind it. Um, I, I just, it's a weird spot. I mean, Buffalo is a coming off its first playoff season since 1999, should have this good vibe in camp. And you've got this issue about their top player um, that is at least unresolved at the moment while mm-hmm. the investigation continues. It's, it's such a, a bad look. It's a weird limbo to be in. And the league did not, as of now, put them on the commissioner's exempt list. So they must feel like there's enough possibility that this thing could just go away and, and not involve him whatsoever. Are they waiting for the Ray Rice elevator tape or... Are they just hoping that it's going to magically go away? And if it's going to magically go away, and I'm not just saying this because it's about an AFC's rival or anything, but if it's going to magically just go away, how happy are you that somebody could be in a position 
where they're associated with people right. that would bring this into the public consciousness, Don. Like, yep. like we're, ta- we're conscious. We're talking about an NFL player that may or may not have ordered the, the, the beating of an ex-girlfriend over a real estate dispute. Yeah. And, and that's not coming up for a lot of other players. We're not hearing about Gronk. We're not hearing about Jordy Nelson. We're not hearing about Deshaun Watson being involved yeah. in crime, like outrageous felonies. And, uh, and of course, the history of it is that the police had been out there at least three times. Right. Not, not for domestic violence, but for some sort of issue uh, between McCoy and um, his ex-girlfriend. I wanted to. I wanted to bring something up. Uh, did you see the picture? Now, granted, he tweeted it out, and I'm sure he applied every filter to it to flatter. Did you see JJ Watt? Yes. I mean, you, know, you think he would flatter himself, JJ? Uh, really? Oh, you mean the guy who on Hard Knocks just stood there catching footballs one-handed I, out of the jugs machine? There's not enough pictures of JJ Watt for my money out there. <laughs> I gotta say, is Mark Ruffalo playing JJ Watt? I mean, he legitimately looks like the Hulk. JJ loves himself some JJ. Yeah, he does some good. You think he's? He's gonna a be good big? guy. Good yeah. guy. I, uh, you know, I lived in Madison when he was playing for the Badgers, and I remember Ooh. talking to him at his pro day, and he's a, he's a good dude. But boy, he has uh, he has you know bought into the persona mm-hmm. of being JJ Watt. Sure. Um, and yeah, he looks great. Can he play? I don't know. Is he going to stay healthy for a whole season? Right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to start, you know, leaking. I'm not going to do that pod before that pod, but I got some I got some sneaky good feelings on the Texans I, this year. I Yeah, I do too, and I think it starts for me with uh, Deshaun Watson and Jadavion Clowney being healthy. J.J. to me is almost a bonus. I really mm-hmm. believe that. I don't believe – I think his best football is behind him. I don't believe we'll ever see that version of J.J. Watt again, the right. three-time NFL Defensive Player of the Year version. Mm-hmm. But he could still contribute, obviously, um, and, and I hope he stays healthy because he, he deserves that at this point. There was a whole big deal, uh, a lot of hullabaloo made earlier in the week about the ESPN rankings of the different tiers of quarterbacks, and people went back and forth like, is Deshaun Watson a Tier 2 quarterback? Like, did anyone watch when he was yeah. healthy last year? How do you not make him a Tier 1 quarterback? For six and a half games, he was a Tier 1 quarterback. He was the best quarterback yeah. in the NFL last yep. year. 21 touchdowns in six and a half games. All right, lastly, I totally agree with um, – Michael Lombardi's Lamar Jackson uh, hype. I, I really think he's going to change. He's going to bring an element to that offense they haven't ever had there in Baltimore. And it's going to be like, you know, watching, going watch from watching black and white to color in that, in that just that awe sense. And I'm actually right. looking forward to it because next week he's going to play. He's going to play Thursday night against the Chicago Bears at the Hall of Fame game and normally yawn. But I'm going to be there in Canton. I'm going to be covering the weekend for Patriots.com, and I'm actually looking forward, believe it or not, to an NFL preseason game just to see Lamar Jackson on the field. Yeah, I I am too. And the Pats fan says, oh, boy, please don't succeed the way you may succeed. And please don't put all the hype on this that everybody is. Don't yeah. let the hype come true because, you know, they passed on him, and Lord knows the way they could have possibly used him. But – this could take the stagnation out of the Ravens' offense over the last couple of years. Yeah. This may this may revolutionize that team, and if so, with the kind of defense that John Harbaugh is able to keep in, keep their year in and year out, if that offense becomes exciting and unpredictable, AFC North may may get shaken up. You know, and this this basically is the Steelers' last chance. Yeah, I agree. This I, is it. I think Baltimore's got a wild card shot. I really do. Yep. I think there's a sense of urgency from from Flacco, from Harbaugh, from Ozzie Newsome, from everybody. So, but I I think that's going to be a fun story to watch Lamar Jackson hit the field and see what see what he can bring to an offense that has been so vanilla 
and so boring for so long. Yep. Uh, that is a wrap for our special Friday edition of the Cover 2 Podcast. want to thank Michael Lombardi, who gave us, I believe, 23 quality minutes on this week's um, <laughs> this week's podcast. And we want to uh, we want to give a pass to Dan Quinn. We're looking forward to talking to the Atlanta Falcons head coach sometime soon. But Dan, you had a good reason for blowing us off in this case. For Nick Stevens, for our crack producer Kevin Collins, who drops in sound effects left and right. That was your opening. Uh, <laughs> this is Don Banks. Oh, Kevin can be there, obviously, to offer insight. There you go. Had a boy. I believe that was TB12. This is Don Banks, and thanks for joining us for the Cover 2 podcast with Banks and Stevens. Talk to you next week. Security blanket, in other words. Yeah, I said that. Thank you for downloading the Cover 2 podcast from Patriots.com. Second and goal to go from the two. Toss sweep right for James White. Tucks it under the red arm. Cuts it upfield. Driving forward. Diving to the goal line. It's still a touchdown. And a title for the Patriots. I can't believe it. They have completed the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. Log on to Patriots.com anytime for more news and more podcasts covering your favorite team and all things NFL.